Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. What we do here at Calvary is we pick a book, we go verse by verse, and that's why Pastor Durrell is going verse by verse through 1 Samuel, and then on the men's study, except for this Tuesday, we're going through the book of Philippians verse by verse in the fall. Claudia is going to be studying, uh, my wife Claudia, who oversees the women's ministry, is going to be studying, starting a study in 1 Peter. So I encourage you to get plugged in. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we made it all the way through verse 12. So as we wrapped up the last time we were in Corinthians, about a spirit, there was a spiritual aspect of marriage that few, please listen to this, this is one of the keys to our marriages. If you're married today, this is a must. Very few couples arrive at this, and my wife and I have been doing marriage ministry 30 plus years, so we know what we're talking about. In-depth praying together on a regular basis, not a dinner prayer, but praying with your spouse 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time, three, four, five, six times a week, getting into that prayer habit. And so I hope that you prayed about that and that as marital couples, you're doing something to develop that aspect of your marriage. So again, these are just in the verses that we talked about so far in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'd venture to say that when I mentioned that a few weeks ago, most of the wives were thinking, I've been asking that for years because we've heard it for 30 plus years from Christians. We've only done Christian couples. We'll do any couple, but after the first session, they don't come back. We give them the gospel, but we also give them the Bible. We give them, we give them the truth. And the husbands were probably feeling intimidated about the concept of praying out loud with their wife. So just in case you don't know this, that's natural. That happens to every single couple. We have not met one couple that they said, oh no, we did it from day one and it's just totally natural. No, 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 everybody has the same story. Felt a little embarrassed, felt very uncomfortable. I wasn't used to praying out loud, this, that, and the other thing. So I'd encourage you to come to a Saturday morning prayer meeting. You will not be made to pray, but you can hear other people pray out loud. Sometimes just being around other people and hearing them go, oh, wow, they're just talking to like their best friend. And that's what prayer is. You don't have to pray in King James. You don't have to change your tone to get really spiritual. You just pray and spend time with God. But very few couples, marital couples, arrive at this place, unfortunately. I would encourage you husbands, whom I call the priest of the house, to realize the spiritual warfare that's taking place for your marriage, for your children, and for your grandchildren. Our spiritual enemy doesn't want us to pray together because it will be the most intimate thing that we can do. Remember, if you've been here, 15 minutes is 1%, less than 1% of the day. Intimacy means a deeper relationship with God, with our mates, with our children, with friends, with anyone that we might pray with. You might meet somebody, a stranger, and you pray with them. There was an intimacy, and you may never, ever see them again. But there was an intimacy developed there 
that is far more intimacy than sexual intimacy in a marriage. You're sharing hearts. So don't even be afraid. You know, I've prayed in Walmart. Don't be afraid if somebody asks you or they tell you something, you say, can I pray with you? And you'll, you're going to get this. Here? <laughs> it's like they think you have to be in a building. You have to be in a church. God only hears when you're in church. Say, so, yeah, don't worry. Let's just step off to the side here. Let's just step off to the side. And talk, you, know, you don't have to make a big deal about it. Throw up a one-minute prayer. Don't give them the gospel for 30 minutes. Get throw one moment in prayer. You'll impact their lives. You'll impact their lives because most of the time they're unbelievers. But you'll impact their lives. Intimacy develops trust, forgiveness, oneness, compassion, direction. And oh, how the enemy hates that. The enemy hates that. So with these opening verses in chapter seven that we've gone over, let me ask you a few questions. Going back to these early, and if you haven't, been here you can get the cds they're free they're on the wall over there has your sexual intimacy how has your sexual intimacy been over the last few weeks no hands no amen none of that how has your sexual intimacy been over the last few weeks because remember a couple weeks ago we went over this in the first five verses and it was an uncomfortable topic uncomfortable sub study but it's in the bible so we got to we got to understand it we got to practice it have you prayed about that? How has your prayer life been going, to, prayer life together been going over the last few weeks? Not for guilt or condemnation, guys. I'm not here for guilt or condemnation. I'm here to encourage you, to strengthen you, to do what the Bible says to do, to build you up for the work of the ministry, not to pat you on the head, oh, you're a good little boy, you're a good little girl. No, 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 no. We need a kick in the pants sometimes. We need that. I need that on a regular basis. And now this morning, some of us are going to have a new question to ask ourselves. How am I treating my unbelieving mate? You see, the Bible covers everything. It's applicable. You see, even though the world may mock the Bible or ridicule the believer, what we're studying is very practical. 2,000 years old almost, and it's still so practical. It's applicable, and it will greatly benefit our lives if we implement. If we just hear it and don't do anything about it, it's not going to benefit us. But if we hear it and then take the steps to implement, it will greatly benefit our lives. Now, it doesn't mean everything's going to be happy, hunky-dory by any means, but it does mean you're going to have the joy of the Lord. You'll have the joy of the Lord. You'll have the peace of the Lord. You'll have the love, grace, mercy. You might be broke. You might be going through cancer, as my wife went through, but you're going to have the joy of the Lord, knowing, God, you got a plan. you got a plan. We're going to keep seeking you. We're going to keep serving you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that your word is so applicable. It's so practical. Almost 2,000 years old, and it brings it right into 21. There's no escaping the principles that are taught here, wonderful principles. So, Father, as we hear this, especially those who are maybe are married to an unbelieving mate, I pray that you give them supernatural insight this day for them, that they would come to a deeper understanding of the Scriptures and how to treat their unbelieving mate. Give them wisdom and discernment, Lord, for your glory. We're not to be doormats. We're not to put up with any abuse, per se, so, but we do 
have your word that clearly tells us how to treat an unbelieving mate that is willing to live with us. So I pray for the gift of teaching in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's pick it up at verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. I actually have that highlighted, those last five words in my Bible. Let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, what does it say? Let her not divorce him. Interesting. The Bible makes women co-equal with men, which they've always been. It's the world and Satan that tries to change that. We're all co-equal in Christ. Now there is godly order. Totally different study. But God is a God of order. But notice that even the woman in that day and age, which was not cultural, could say, I'm going to divorce my husband. You just read it. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So for those who are married and one of the spouses knows the Lord initially or received Jesus as their Savior during the marriage, Paul shows them what to do in these circumstances by allowing the unbeliever to dwell with you. So again, I'm speaking specifically to anyone in this room that might have an unbelieving mate and they're willing to live with you. You have a spiritual influence upon their lives. The mate and the children are considered holy. Not set apart, because that holy means set apart. Not set apart for salvation. Every person within the family unit has to make that personal commitment to Jesus Christ. You younger people that are coming here because your parents made you come, uh, and you think you're going to heaven because your parents come to church, so that makes you a Christian automatically. That is not biblical. That is not true. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus yourself. If you do not, and you're of the age of accountability, God will hold you responsible to what you've been told, what you've been taught, and the decisions that you make. Wonderful. Free will is wonderful. But the children and the unbelieving mate are considered wholly set apart in that sense of being separated from profane things and dedicated to God. Each individual within the home still needs to accept Jesus, as I've shared, and their chances are greater when the believer is present. Present. So believers are not to leave their unbelieving mates or families but rather stay and allow the Holy Spirit to influence their lives towards salvation. Now, in a group this size, I know there's all kinds of circumstances, so I'm painting with a wide brush. Again, we're not, to be, we're not Christians, we're not called to be doormats. We're not to put up with physical, mental, emotional, spiritual abuse. Seek counsel if you need to, but if you have a mate that is willing to love you and honor you and respect you and your wishes, then you as a believer are called to remain with that individual. You're not called to leave. Verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, I have this whole verse highlighted. So again, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. 
Now again, let's go back, as we've talked about over the years, go back to the time frame. Christianity was brand new, brand new. So all of a sudden, somebody goes to a meeting, and they get saved, and they go home in Corinth to this culture that is sex-driven, and they go, I, I just received this guy, Jesus, into my life. You did what? Who is this guy? And they try to explain it, and they, and they use terms that are totally foreign. I mean, for us today, these terms are not so foreign anymore. Um, you go up and knock on a door, especially a Catholic, Roman Catholic door, and you ask them if they're saved, they'll go, yes. Once you're baptized as an infant, I was born and raised Roman Catholic, so I'm not bashing the church, but let's talk mature doctrine. When you're baptized as an infant in a Roman Catholic church, you're saved. You're saved, period. You're going to heaven unless you rape, kill, mur- you know, do something really bad, bad sin, then you might lose your salvation. But otherwise, you're saved. So in some senses, these are even new terms that people need to have explained today. But just get that picture. All of a sudden, somebody comes home and says, you know, I'm saved now. What does that mean? They try to explain it. They didn't have all the scriptures that we have. We can at least now open the Bible and explain it. And all of a sudden, the maid's going, you know, I don't know if I like this about you. What's going to happen? I don't know, but you know, I just love God and God loves me and I just want to serve him. Well, what does that mean? So guys, they were trying to figure it all out. Were any of you doing that when you first got saved? I know I was. I was like, well, what does this look like? I'm in the Roman Catholic Church. I know the stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. But what does it mean to go out and serve Jesus? What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to read your Bible? We weren't taught to read our Bible. So even today, for us, this could be foreign to some people. So you need to slow down and educate them and love on them and explain things to them. And that takes time. That takes time. But if the unbeliever departs, Paul shares with the believers, that if you have sincerely tried to save the marriage, notice what what I just said there. You have sincerely tried to save the marriage. You've remained separated and focused on allowing the Lord to heal the marriage but the other person still doesn't want to make the marriage work, then you're free to let them go. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. God has called us to peace, even through the painful circumstances of a divorce. So let me say this right now to you young people or singles. Do not missionary date. No missionary dating What does that mean? You're a believer. You don't date an unbeliever. That should be the very first question you ask. Hi, what's your name? Hi, if you get to know them. Are you saved? Am I what? Do you go to church? Oh, I go to church. Do you have a Bible? A what? Okay, nice meeting you. (laughs) Would you like me to pray for you? Would you like Jesus as your Savior? I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with you. That made that really short and sweet. Great, off the list. Spare yourself a lot of pain, guys. Spare yourself. We've been with couples who missionary dated, and it's very, very painful. They think they're going to change the person. Oh, they'll get saved once we get married. You don't want to. You don't want to go down that road. They might. They might not. And you're going to live with the consequences. So, if the Christian does go through a divorce, even to this day, are they allowed to remarry? Absolutely. I think you can go back to verses 7 through 9 as well as many other scriptures that will answer that question. As a single Christian, though, that person is to make sure that they marry someone who is solid in the faith. 
so as to avoid any future problems and heartaches. Don't make the same mistake again. And please, if you've never been married, don't make the mistake the first time. It was excellent counsel for the Corinthians then, and it's still excellent counsel today. Verse 16, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, it's it's important to say this because I know we have new believers here. We do not save anyone. If we give an altar call, if I ask people to receive Christ, I did not save them. I just happened to be the vessel that God used to get the words out so that people could get saved. So you want to keep it, understand that as a young believer, you don't save anybody. We just take them to the throne and the Holy Spirit does the saving. But we need to be a part of that process because most of them don't even know where the throne is. They think the throne is in the bathroom. We got to take them to the heavenly throne. To help them understand, no, there is a heavenly throne that you will bow before one day as a believer as well as an unbeliever. And so we need to be there for them. It's God's ways of ministering to that person if the unbeliever desires to live with the believer. It's God's way of ministering to that person. Unfortunately, though, some believers will try to get out of their marriage using these verses as a justification. Again, 30 plus years, we've heard it all. Even though the husband or wife has done nothing wrong or out of line. So no, the Bible-believing Christian is to remain married. We just read it. Because salvation for the unbeliever could be just around the corner. You just never know. How about verse 17? But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised, which would be very hard to do. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Personally, I believe that Paul is talking about the Jew and the Gentile here. As a Jew, were you called to receive Jesus as your Savior? Yes. Well, don't try to become like the Gentiles. And this is where many Gentiles, Christians, fall into problems. And if you're called as a Gentile, remember there's only two groups of people on the face of the earth even today. You're a Jew. If you have Jewish blood in you, you're a Jew. If you don't have Jewish blood in you, you're a Gentile, period. You think whatever you want, you're a Jew or a Gentile. When you get that into your head and you read the scriptures, then they make more sense. And you're called as a Gentile, don't try to become like the Jews. And and there's, there's several Christians in my lifetime that have fallen into that trap, starting to celebrate all the Jewish holidays and go down the road of certain prayers and and doing all the rituals and nothing wrong with the holidays. I celebrate those holidays. That's great. Jesus is the holiday. Jesus is the everything. Don't try to replace Jesus with anything man-made because it will always fail. It will always fail. So for whatever that's worth. Verse 17, he has distributed, it means to part, to apportion, bestow, to share. As we've seen throughout the scriptures, God has given to every person a calling in this life. Most with the gift of marriage and others with the gift of being single. And yes, it is a gift if you're new. It is a gift. This is what we're reading in this chapter. And Paul is going to expand on this concept because God has given some of us wealth and some poverty. Some to be short, others to be tall. 
It's amazing how we can be so discontent about the things that the Lord has given to us. And these verses give us a glimpse of our behavior as humans. You know, how often do you say or have you heard, oh, I wish I had curly hair. I know none of you ladies ever thought that. Or I wish I had straight hair. Oh, I wish I was taller. Oh, I wish I was shorter. Oh, I wish I was single. Oh, I wish I was married. I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish like I had that personality. And one time or another, we probably all expressed the ultimate discontentment. I wish I was born into another family. I remember saying that as a teenager. Maybe you never you did, but I did. You know, when you're 13, 14, 15, and it's not going your way, you wish a lot of goofy things. For some reason, we are discontent with so much of our lives or what the word calls our calling. This is what the study's about, guys. It's our calling. If you're called to be single, rejoice in that. Don't feel like you're lacking something. That's your calling. If it's not your calling, pray, date wisely, wait upon the Lord, and he'll bring that person to you. What's your calling? Become content with that calling. So Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instructs his spiritual children to be content with what the Lord has given to each one of them individually. Verses 18 through 20. Was anyone called uncircumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. When he called while circumcised, let him not be uncircumcised. Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. Notice that. Outward expression. Doesn't mean anything. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. And you'll notice it's to telesize it what matter, is what matters is not in the original writings. So it's just keeping the commandments of God. That's what we're called to do as believers in Christ. That's why I mentioned earlier we should be sinning less, but we'll never be sinless until we take our last breath. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Paul then zeroes in on another area of discontentment. If you're Jewish, don't try to become a Gentile, as I've already mentioned. If you're a Gentile, don't try to become a Jew. Being a Jew or being a Gentile means nothing to God. Being a Jew or a Gentile means nothing to God. Receiving Jesus as the Christ and then walking in the ways of the Lord is what matters to God. And even as we think about that, we need to expand that to to what we are dealing with today. Being, Being white does not matter to God. Being black does not matter to God. Being any color does not matter to God. Get that message into the ears of those who are trying to cause hate and discontentment. God looks at the heart, not the exterior. We, unfortunately, look at the exterior before we allow a person to express their hearts. And that's where prejudices come in and biases come in. Instead of maybe asking questions, starting to get a dialogue going where we can maybe learn something about this person that's different than me, instead of just saying, well, they're bad. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's me that's bad because I'm judging them falsely. So we have to be very, very careful as believers in these days we're living in because this is just reality. The enemy is trying to stir up hatred within the flock. For God doesn't judge people based on the external presentation, but on the internal representation. The internal representation. Next one, Randy. No, I'm sorry. I must have missed one there. So, 
Many people, especially those on social media, are concerned, if not consumed, with the external presentation of themselves and other things around us. And we could apply this to any religion, including Christianity. But God is concerned with the internal representation of our heart, which comes down to a personal relationship. I know I'm saying this over and over again, but they say, whoever they are, they know everything. It's amazing. You have to hear something seven times before it sinks in. So somebody new might be here. There's, you're, you've said that already. I, yeah, kind of, but I changed it up a little bit. Why did I say it? Because it's about personal relationship. Now 1 Samuel sixteen seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. So this is when Samuel was going to be, or Saul, King Saul was going to be replaced with David. And David was going to become the king. And when Samuel was going to view the men, he thought when one of them stood up, oh, this must be the new king. Look how tall he is. Look how good looking he is. And this is when God took Samuel aside and said, wait a minute. This, this is what I want to tell you, Samuel. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For, the Lord, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And guys, that's the heart that we need to take on. We need to look at people in the, through their hearts and not their exterior. But the enemy doesn't want us to do that because if we do that, we'll be showing grace, love, and mercy to other people. Verses 21 through 24 get to very uncomfortable verses. Were you called while a slave? Oh boy, here we go. Do not be concerned about it. If you can be made free... Rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord, now I have this verse highlighted. I encourage you to highlight your Bible as the Holy Spirit ministers to you. Highlight it, underline it, make notes in your margin. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. In other words, that person is free. Likewise, very important here, He who is called while free is Christ's slave. Very, very important. None of us are free. Uh, There was a guy who came out with a song. I'm not sure if he was saved or not. He'll find out. But he wrote a song that you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. You're either going to serve sin or you're going to serve the Savior. You're going to serve somebody because we're a slave. We're a slave to our flesh. That's, un- that's unfortunate, but it's a reality. So we're going to serve something. We're going to either allow God to minister to us or we're going to allow the world to minister to us and we'll become servants to whomever we submit to. And I'm sure most of you can agree with this. The drug issue in America is astounding. It's staggering. And when people get into it, it's very hard to get out of it. They become a servant, a slave. Oh, I could stop tomorrow. Why don't you? I don't want to. Well, look at yourself. Hello. They become a slave. We can become a slave to finances. We can become a slave to our house. We can become a slave to our career. Anything that we put above God, we brought God down. And now we're, he's subservient. No, we're serving this instead. Hmm. Very, very dangerous. You, why? Verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. So here we again, we have two states. Were you called as a slave? Were you called as free? 
stay where you're at. But again, notice what he says in verse 21. But if you can be made free, rather, use it. So let's see if we can go through these verses a little bit. Here are some potentially hard verses because they took place in our culture years ago. Slaves or servants in the Roman Empire made up roughly 50% of the population. With an estimation of nearly 60 million slaves or servants. Now, when you think of a slave or a servant, you might get the mental picture of a master who owns a person who is clasped in chains, living in poor physical conditions, and treated harshly. That's probably what's going to flash into your mind because that's part of our history, unfortunately. When, in fact, many of the slaves or servants of that day were ordinary people who couldn't pay off their debts. So they would become slaves or servants to work off their debts. Huh. That's not applicable today, is it? Let me see. My credit card has $10,000 on it. I guess I need to go to work. Who'd you become a slave to? The credit card. I'm not a slave to anybody. Yeah, right. But isn't this wonderful? I love this concept personally. If you have a debt, pay it off. Pay it off. We're going to get down to it in a little bit here. You can see this practice referenced often in the Old Testament, and God actually gave the Jewish people very specific instructions how to deal with debt and slavery. So slavery wasn't as unusual as we think. But for our modern culture, if we don't pay off our debts, we just declare bankruptcy. That's great. We just declare bankruptcy and we leave our debts for somebody else to deal with, which in some cases leaves a very poor example of our Christian walk. And yes, it happens. I've sat with Christians who have had to do this. I understand it. I get it. Just learn from it and don't do it again. It's a blessing to be able to do that. But at the same time, don't do it again. Learn from it. Don't do it again. And even try to pay off the debts once you're you're out of them. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Verse 21, so Paul teaches them that if they can pay off their debt, then they should do that. It would be a great witness, and then they would be free to go wherever the Lord might call them. Verse 22, so you can now see what Paul was sharing with these Christian, Corinthians and the concept that he was bringing before them. This was a principle that was contrary to their culture, but one that was ordained by God. When you receive Jesus as the Christ being a servant, you've become free for all eternity. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. As we look at, uh, as you're turning there, I'm going to read verse 23 again in 1 Corinthians 7, 23. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. 1 Peter 1, the team always does a great job. If you're new to the Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles, you can take them. As long as you use them, don't sell them for drugs. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Peter elaborates on this, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. When I read this verse, I don't know about you, but when I read this verse, it is so applicable to me because I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church and this is what took place. You could redeem somebody's soul out of purgatory. It's called purgatory, which is hell light. Hell light. 
Hell is hell, but somehow it's hell light. It doesn't burn as hot, but it's still hot. And uh, if you give money to the church, if you light candles, if you say prayers, if you attend masses, if you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, they'll get released early to heaven. Now, you ask a priest, and if I had an audience with the Pope, this is a, this is a question that I would ask him, because I've asked priests. I say, how, how much does it take? How much does it take to get the soul out of purgatory? You know what their answer is? They don't know. The Pope doesn't know. Nobody knows. Then why do we do it? Whole another study. But just be careful. Be careful. Where was that? Right up here? First Peter, 18. So, like silver or gold, so you can't purchase your way to heaven. That's the bottom line. So if you're here today thinking, well, I'm a good person, I'm going to go to heaven. No, the Bible says there's no one good, no, not one, you're going to hell. You can't buy your way out of hell. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ. And where does that come from? The cross. The cross. If you go to a church or a ward and you don't see a cross, get away from it. It's all about the cross. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, Paul talks about freedom in verse 22, but we need to realize that that freedom did not come at a cheap price. So when you realize, when you receive Jesus as the Christ, as a free person, you, became, you come to realize that you've been purchased by God and now you're his servant. Every single believer in this room is a servant. You are a slave. We have a master, God the Father. God the Father. That's who we'll be held accountable to. You might not like that idea, but that's reality. How about Matthew chapter 20? How about Matthew chapter 20? And what a blessing it is to serve God. As the music team comes up, we'll wrap it up with verses uh, here in Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Who is Jesus talking to? His disciples. Who is the Holy Spirit talking to this morning? His disciples, you males, you females, you believers in Christ. Yet it, so not, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him become your, what? What does your Bible say? Don't be afraid. Servant. servant. I don't want to be a servant. Well, this is what Jesus said. Let's read on. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your Ooh, wow. I thought Paul just said, don't become a servant to men. Physical, in other words, pay off your debts. Don't get indebted so that you have to become a slave. Be financially secure. Be wise. Because as we read the other scriptures, we obviously see we become servants. So the Bible doesn't contradict itself. You just got to make sure you're reading the Bible in context. Verse 28, why? Just as the Son of Man, that's a title that Jesus took to himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. Are you kidding me? Who spoke the world into being according to the word of God? Colossians. Jesus spoke everything into being. What do you mean? We should be serving you. The disciples should have been falling over themselves, trying to serve him in any way possible. But they weren't. They were more more worried about, do I get to sit on your right hand or your left hand? 
What, what position am I going to have? Are we going to get a lot of money out of this? What, what glory are we going to have? Did not have a clue. And I don't blame them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. But you guys, you have the Holy Spirit within you as believers. So we shouldn't have that same mentality. Our mentality should be, who can I serve today? How can I serve? What way can I serve? How can I? What you're doing is you're blessing somebody through that service. So you want to be asking yourself, how can I bless somebody today? Why? Because Jesus said, did not come to be served, but to serve. Notice that. The one who spoke it all into being came to serve us. We can't speak anything into being. And to give his life a ransom for many or for the whole world. Father, we thank you and praise you that your wisdom is far above our wisdom. None of us would have taken our only son and sent him to the electric chair, sent him to the gas chamber, put him on the gallows, put him in front of a firing squad. We wouldn't have done that. To save sinners? To save murderers? To save adulterers? To save rapists? To save pedophiles? To save people that have fits of rage and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness in their heart? We wouldn't do that. But you did. Because you know better. You knew there was no way out. There was no way of coming into heaven. And so you gave Jesus the acceptable, the spotless Lamb of God as the acceptable sacrifice. You know, as the saints are praying, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to ask you to do something uncomfortable and it's your decision, it's your free will. But I'd like to do this. We don't do this every Sunday, but I'd like to do this. If you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, listening to this study, the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart. You don't know Jesus as your Savior. Uh, eyes are closed and there's people around you that are praying for your soul and they probably don't even know you but they're praying God if there's someone here open their spiritual eyes to receive Jesus I'd like you to raise your hand right where you're sitting I'm not going to make you do anything else nothing weird but I'd like you to raise your hand where you're sitting because I want to offer up a prayer for you to receive Jesus as your Savior if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior is there anyone here that would like to receive Jesus as their Savior keep it up high so I can see it if there is Okay, Father, we thank you. And Lord, we pray that you would empower us this week to take these principles that we've learned and to implement them into our lives. Very important principles, especially this last one. Because I know sometimes as guys, we don't want to serve. We'd rather be served. So Lord, help us to be aware of what's going on in the home, what's going on in the workplace, the neighborhood, the church, day-to-day maybe in the parking lot, in the grocery store, just to, just to help somebody, just to serve them, for you to be glorified, Father. Whether they know it, we're doing it for you or not, it doesn't matter. But that we might just become more aware of our surroundings, that we might serve the creation that you spoke into being. Father, we also pray for this week that we'd be able to pray with someone to receive Jesus, if that's your will. We pray for the junior hires. I don't know if they're all saved. You do. So Lord, I pray if there's, there's just one junior hire that's not saved, that they would receive Jesus this week at the camp. We pray for safety driving up, coming back. Thank you for those who are going to serve, to, to cook the meals and prepare all the food. And we just pray for safety on our hikes and, 
and fun things that we're going to do. Just that you'll be glorified, Lord. I thank you for watching that video and just seeing young people having fun and young people reading their Bibles and wanting to be there. They could be anywhere else for four days. But they took time to be with friends and to be with you. What a blessing. What an encouragement. May these young people be encouraged as well this week. Use us for your glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. Thanks for coming out. If you need prayer for anything, we have people up here that would love to pray with you. Come up for prayer. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.